What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Monkey Mind Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Perez, along with Anthony Florentino. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Daily Dose CBD Inc. Daily Dose CBD Inc. is the best CBD I have ever used. I've tried multiple other brands and nothing compares to Daily Dose. A tincture at night before bed with my tea helps with the anxiousness and background noise and gets me calm right before I hit the sack. Head over to their website to pick some up today at dailydosecbdinc.com and use promo code MONKEYMIND for 10% off your purchases. That's dailydosecbdinc.com, promo code MONKEYMIND for 10% off your purchases. This is episode 32 featuring Matt Brown, mental performance coach for the Calgary Flames in the National Hockey League and Calgary Hitman of the Western Hockey League. Let's get into today's episode. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, I won't take up too much of your time, but uh, basically, if you could just, you know, explain what you do, um, you know, some of the things that you do with the players, and um, we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so I work with uh, with Calgary Flames, and then uh, also with uh, Stockton Heat, and then all of our prospects in our system from, you know, from the from draft day to uh, <laughs> to when they pull on the jersey, but. Um, uh, I, I basically shepherd all things psychological. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's mental preparation and dealing with confidence and pressure and those kinds of things. And, and other times it it's, uh, has to do with more kind of mental, mental health or off ice sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I do. Uh, that's what I do for them. Awesome. How did you get into that field and kind of become interested in when that started for you? Yeah, I, uh, so uh, so my sport was football, and I was playing uh, uh, playing playing college football in in Canada, and uh, had the ball zig when I should have zagged, and went helmet to helmet, and and broke my neck, and um, so that was uh, that marked the end of my football career, and um, and had a, had a really hard time just getting through it. Uh, had a lot of eggs in that basket, and um, <clears throat> you know had enough people around me thinking I was gonna play at the next level when I was done college. And, uh, so, uh, uh, so kind of dragged through the mud emotionally (laughs) again through it. And then I, uh, that kind of spawned my interest in psychology and how people cope with things. And, and then, uh, it went, went from, I just couldn't play football anymore, but got into the decathlon and, uh, trained with a very prominent Canadian coach, less romantic uh, for a number of years doing that. And, and as I was going that, I continued to be just just interested and fascinated by just the emotional world of the athlete, and and that eventually turned to uh, yeah my my uh, my adult uh, passion, which has been uh, just the uh, the athlete's mind and and how to support them you know in and out of competition. Awesome. Yeah. Um, one of the questions that I had for you, um, just kind of I think it's awesome to get your perspective on this sort of thing is, um, you know, you mentioned that you work with a lot of prospects coming up. Um, talk about some of the things that, you know, whatever you can mention, um, some of the things that you're looking for in prospects or some of the kind of questions that you may ask, because you're also involved in the interview process from what I understand with the draft picks and all that. Um, I think a lot of people don't kind of see that um, who are not in the hockey world or, you know, in that sort of field. So kind of some of the things that maybe you look for, because I know you obviously 
examine these players psychologically and see what kind of people they are first before, you know, a hockey player. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, at that point, because we draft so early in hockey, um, at that point you can get a snapshot of what kind of what player they are at that point. Um, but, um, but what you really want to do is try and forecast what they're going to be in, you know, four or five, six years. Uh, and the best predictors of that growth are psychological. So, you know, are they, um, are they hardworking? Are, you know, are they coachable? Uh, do they own their performances or, or do they make excuses uh, and kind of blame people for, for their failures? Are they focused on their growth or they're focused on protecting their ego? And, and you can get a real sense of, uh, of all those things. If you know the kinds of questions to ask, uh, you can get into those corners and get a, get a really good read. I, I feel on, on the, the, the essence of the person that you're you know, interviewing. Yeah. Um, I think, so you also work with the flames as well as the Stockton heat, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, from that sort of standpoint now too, I think um, a lot of people tend to think that, you know, these players are at the absolute top of their level um, for their sport. And a lot of people kind of see them as, I guess, otherworldly or dehumanize them. But at the end of the day, I think, you start to realize that there are people just like us. So, um, you know, from the NHL and the American Hockey League perspective, what are some of the things that you walk through with those players that maybe the average person may not see? That you know, you, the average person would be like, oh yeah, they're just another human beings with the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, it's always funny, isn't it? When you know, when someone will meet one of one of the players and go, wow, like just seemed like such a genuine, nice guy, and I'm like, they're human, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and as such, you know, they're they're not immune to a lot of the things, well, to any of the things that, that the rest of us have to uh, cope with on a day-to-day basis and, uh, and just, you know, how they deal with success and failure and how they uh, manage their relationships and, um, you know, their, how they, you know, kind of balance the, you know, their life outside of sport with, uh, uh, with, you know, the themselves as performers. And so it's um, one of the big things is just, just getting them to see like, you know, like it's okay. It's okay to feel stressed out sometimes. It's okay to sometimes feel overwhelmed emotionally. Um, and, uh, and, and the more you, you know, talk those things out with someone, uh, the, the more your situation changes in that you can take emotion that's kind of trapped on the inside and, and get it out. Cause our, cause once emotion kind of passes through us, it can actually be quite functional. Uh, but we don't always uh, treat it that way. So it was actually, there's a, a psychologist in the 30s and 40s, his name was Dabrowski, Polish gentleman, who uh, he, he pointed out something I thought was really fascinating, which was, you know, you've got kind of the average, average people, like at the base of the, of your pyramid, um, they don't worry about much of anything. Like they, if they get a paycheck and a, you know, and a place to sleep and a bag of chips, like they're just, they're happy in their life. Um, but then a level up from that, you get the people who are, they, they see themselves as being here, but they know they could be here. And the difference is uncomfortable. They create stress in them and, and, uh, just a, a source of dissonance. And so, so that drives the work to try and close that gap It motivates them uh, and they, and they push. And so you have people who are who are very, they're self-aware, but they're very self-critical. They demand a lot of themselves. They're, they find it a little bit harder to forgive themselves when they make mistakes. 
And all of those things allow them to continue to progress and get better. Uh, but, but at the, you know, at the root of it is, is this, you know, this anxiety and discomfort about not being, you know, as good as they could be. Uh, so, so we think of mental illness as being something that, you know, it's for the weak when in actual fact that, you know, the high achievers, the ones who are pushing the hardest, that expo expect the most, that are most uncomfortable being average, that, uh, you know, they, they end up, you know, striving and achieving, uh, but they suffer a little bit more along the way. Yeah, I think that was one, one of the things that kind of um, clicked for me was that, you know, there's a, a level of anxiety that I think a lot of top performers deal with and that's okay. It's just a matter of, you know, when it becomes debilitating, that's when it kind of becomes an issue. But, you know, I think stress is something that um, is unavoidable and shouldn't be avoided by any means. I think you can, a lot of us can use it and a lot of the top performers use it to, like you said, catapult themselves higher up in the ranks. Cause you know, it's that worry of, I know where I am. I know where I could be. It's that extra push that a lot of uh, high performers need. And I think um, it's just a matter of when it becomes, like I said, debilitating that it can get in the way of performance. And um, which I think is a lot of times hard um, when you're in it um, as an athlete. Cause you know, like you said, with the, all the eggs in one basket, when playing at the highest level, you've dedicated your whole life to this. And um, you know, there's, I guess, in a sense, a lot riding on what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, like all of the all of the human emotions are just survival instincts. That's what they're for. So they're uh, so they're they're highly functional. They've kept our species alive. So so we don't we often disrespect, you know, how important and healthy our emotions are. Uh, and so anxiety is just it's it's a, you know, it's a form of fear. Uh, and it and it motivates us to prepare to be aware to uh, you know, to not be complacent, like it's in and of itself, it's, uh, it, it's a useful you know, mechanism within us. Um, in my experience, where people tend to get most overwhelmed with, with anxiety is when they try to ignore it. They try to push it down or they try and talk themselves out of it or shame themselves for, fe for feeling that way. Uh, and, that, and then it compounds and builds up and it has no release, no outlet. Uh, and, and they're beating themselves up up for it on top of that and then they just reach a threshold where they don't feel like they can you know take it anymore yeah uh one of my questions is danny and i have both played in the east coast hockey league and um not really aware of how it works in the ahl and nhl but do uh yourself or other sports psychologists meet with the team regularly or is it kind of based off of the players um you know, desire to meet with you or like how, do, how does it work exactly? And what is your opinion on if a player should be meeting more or as a team and whatnot? It's, it, it actually depends, uh, depends a bit on the coach, frankly. Uh, but uh, I would say most of what I do at the NHL level is done at the individual level. So, you know, a kind of, uh, kind of on request uh, from, from players when they, uh, whether they want to, um, yeah, would we'll look at their game prep, or um, uh, or if they're in a little bit of a slump and, and struggling with confidence, or if there's something else going on outside of the rink. Uh, Lear and I are just getting a call from Kelly Rudy. I'm just gonna put it to voice. <laughs> he never calls me. I don't know. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, so a lot of it's a lot of it's individual. But 
but from time to time a coach will say you know as as a group i think we're dealing with this uh this issue or challenge you know can you speak to that or give us some tools and then uh so it's kind of you know uh, as required as things come up whereas with stockton uh every time i go down there almost every time uh, kale mclean will have me uh do a, a group presentation of some sort uh, so we'll speak in advance and kind of talk about, you know, is there some just kind of foundational uh, tool or concept that we want them, you know, want to introduce to them now, or are they dealing with something in particular or, or a, you know, a, a problem at this point in the season or some, some sort that we want to try to address somehow. Uh, so, so he and I collaborate quite a bit in, in advance of my coming down uh, to, to kind of figure out what the right, uh, you know, message or topic is, is that would be most useful to the players at that time. Uh, but also like whenever I'm in Stockton, I'm, I'm busy. Like I, you know, <laughs> as soon as the guys <clears throat> know I'm coming, I'll get texts say, Hey, can we grab coffee or can we grab lunch or what are you doing after practice? Or, you know, could, you know, could I come a few minutes before practice and have a chat? And, um, yeah. Because you've got to, you know, you have this population of, of people that are pretty, um, pretty motivated to get that, like that one more step up. Uh, so they're, uh, yeah, they're, they, they put me to work um, <laughs> right from, you know, when I kind of hit the ground, which is great because uh, uh, Brad Trilliving's done such a great job of, uh, uh, and Brad Pascal have done such a great job of, of, um, of gathering just great human beings. So I'm pretty, pretty lucky with the, the kinds of people I deal with. Yeah, just, I mean, from my um, experience, obviously, initiating the thought of I need to talk to somebody or I could use this help. Um, NHL is obviously the highest level and the goal for so many people. How often do you speak with those guys? And just for people listening can understand that even the best players in the whole world are still using you as an asset to better their game, even though they're at the top. So how often, or, you know, do a lot of guys utilize the resources that they have? Yeah, what I just, uh, you know, I think it's useful for people to know that in general, the, uh, the best players are the ones that access me the most, you know, because you, because you have a, you know, personality type generally that very driven, just constantly looking for more, you know, for other ways of, of improving themselves. Uh, and, and also, you know, usually the best players are usually are, are pretty at that level pretty mature emotionally. So they recognize that, Hey, like I'm chronically under a lot of stress here. So, so kind of talking it out from time to time allows me to just dump the bucket and, and, uh, and move forward feeling a bit lighter and clear headed. So, uh, yeah, so, so, uh, generally the, uh, the, the player, the, the stronger and more mature players will, will, uh, use me more often, but also, the the stigma of talking to someone you know with a psychology background is is going away over time so we you know so we would have some veteran players that would be resistant to it whereas some of the some of the younger guys you know sort of the you know 96 to you know to, to you know kind of currently um, you know current draftees uh they're more accustomed to it they're more open to it um in a lot of cases they've had exposure to it and so it just it just feels like another coach to them uh, so you know kind of through attrition just seeing more and more willingness to uh, to use the resource but uh, and but I, I work with the hitmen as well and uh, and it was, it's absolutely true that the 
I, I, you know, spent the most amount of time with our best players at their request. Um, that's a question that I wanted to ask you about was I saw that you worked with the Calgary Hitmen in the Western Hockey League, um, which for those who are listening and don't know that Western Hockey League is um, major junior. And um, once you sign a contract there, you cannot play collegiate hockey and CAA hockey. So um, you can just talk about that because that's a, um, you know, a big decision for a lot of players that they're making at a super young age. So, um, you know, talk about putting your eggs in one basket. You're completely cutting out one route to, you know, get to the highest level and you're, you know, really, you know, taking this chance here. So if you can just kind of talk about working with those players and what that's like and being in that environment, um, cause they're very young. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and then they're drafted at, um, you know, in their, in their second Bantam year. So, <laughs> so you have 15 year olds, you know, getting drafted into the CHL. Um, and it's, uh, uh, yeah, it, I think there is a real, you know, the, the earlier you start to see yourself as only a hockey player, uh, the, the more risk there is of, of really, you know, having struggles when it's not going well, or even having a hard time keeping it in perspective when it is going well. Uh, so it's, uh, it can be emotionally, it can be such a roller coaster. And, and it's, you know, and, and they, a lot of them start, you know, their, their junior career at 16, 17 years old. And when you look at it just developmentally that at that age, you know, um, there's a lot going on just in terms of that, just heightened emotionality anyway. So, um, so yeah, it's, you know, you take, you know, kids and throw them into what's, you know, for, for the most part, a lot like a professional environment. Uh, and, and in, you know, here in Calgary, in some cases they're playing in front of, you know, 10, 11,000 people. Um, uh, so it's, uh, so it's, it's a lot on the shoulders of a, you know, a 16 year old, but, um, but that's, you know, and then I credit, you know, the Hitman organization, they understand that. And so, you know, they've hired coaches that are, they're, they're great coaches, but they're also great mentors and great, um, and great teachers. Uh, and, and then, you know, then they hire me to, to try and help on the, you know, the mental emotional level to make sure that these kids are getting the support that they need to be in an environment that uh, is that demanding and, and, um, uh, and ramps up the pressure that much. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, if you ask, you know, a lot of hockey players, like what were the best, you know, best years of your life that they'll point back to junior hockey. And, you know, cause you get so close with your, with your teammates and your billets and, um, and there's, you know, everything's so turned up emotionally that the highs that you experience are, you know, are just over the moon. So it's a very, you know, electric environment. And, and I love, you know, working with those guys. Uh, but, uh, but there's a lot of, um, a lot of emotional ups and downs for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that you use a lot of, well, you could tell me, do you use a lot of the same tactics that you use with the WHL guys that you do with the NHL guys, um, you know, and whatever those tactics may be, if you could, you know, kind of share what, what some of those things are. Cause I mean, that's something that I work with a sports psychologist. We had the same one Flo and I doc Wally. And um, yeah. I think he helped us out immensely and kind of gave us little things we could implement in a routine that, you know, have really helped us make strides. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all are working with the same hardware, right? Brain and nervous system. And the, you know, the rules don't apply differently to pros versus juniors versus, you know, cocktail waitresses, like it's, it's, <laughs> everyone's got the same makeup essentially. Uh, so, so a big part of it is just understanding how our thoughts work 
uh, how our how our thoughts dovetail into how we feel, um, uh, which then you know educates you into the uh, our emotional dynamics and, and just wants you to understand our thoughts and feelings and, and how you can actually uh, have you know two hands on the reins and start to you know steer how you think and look at things and talk to yourself and breathe through stressful situations. Uh, you can start to feel like you know instead of you know life's happening to me it's uh, like you know I'm making life happen uh, which is you know ultimately the goal. So you have you start talking about things like a lot about self-talk and and arousal adjustment emotional uh, management strategies and um, and visualization and in uh, preserving routine and protecting sleep and recovery and those sorts of things and and those principles all you know apply uh, you know seamlessly across different realms whether it's in sport or outside of sport yeah so are you obviously Danny and I have so many things that we're trying to accomplish and whatnot and one of them is having junior teams incorporate the sports psychologist aspect into their regiment. And um, I'm not sure, but are you aware of other WHL teams using sports psychologists or is that kind of the coach's discretion as well? Yeah. Sports psychologists, mental trainers, even counselors there, you know, there are a lot of, in fact, I think most have some sort of um, uh, pastor or someone involved as well, just on the spiritual level. So it's, you know, I'm really encouraged. Uh, I would say the last five or ten years, it's become harder and harder to find teams that don't have uh, some, you know, support. And sometimes it's uh, a little stronger at the sport level uh, than other places. But but you know, counselors, mental trainers, psychologists, uh, more and more are, are involved in some form. Uh, you know, leadership coaches. So it's. Uh, it's it's kind of the, in a way it's the last frontier, right? <laughs> For us to try and be, you know, trying to be both great and more healthy, uh, and so uh, yeah, it's it's been encouraging to see uh, how many teams are are really investing in the just the psychological care of their athletes. Yeah, I think it's so important to have, you know, sports psychologists and just clinical psychologists for players. Um, I think it would be so beneficial at a younger age. Cause one of the things that always gave me anxiety was, you know, I wanted to get the division one commit and then I got the division one commit and then I wanted to perform so I could have a good shot at pro. And then in pro you want to perform so you can climb the ranks as high as you can. So it's almost like you think that, you know, your anxieties and your worries are going to be cured by, you know, having, you know, that next like achievement. Just get to there. Yeah. yeah but it never yeah. goes away. And I think that's something I realized when, you know, you're in pro and you're looking back and just like, I wish I just enjoyed every moment for what it was. And again, yes, that anxiety is good, but there were times where it was very, um, you know, it was very tough. And I think that, you know, when you bring sports psychology into players when they're younger, I think it can help them have more you know, successful careers and create healthier athletes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the, um, as you say, like you, when you get to this point, you feel like, is there going to be some relief? And it's like, no, it gets turned up. Yeah. You know, so, so the more success you have, the more pressure you're under. So ultimately, if you if your relationship with, with stress and pressure doesn't change at some point, uh, then you, you know you're right. You know, like he's just you're ultimately headed for a crisis because uh, there has to be some threshold where there where it's too much. You know, and uh, you know, and I think a big part of it is. 
when you devote that much of your time to, you know, to pursuing something, uh, it becomes easier and easier just to define yourself, you know, as that sport, you know, I'm a hockey player. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, once you've done that, then if it's going well, you feel like you have value. If you have a bad day, you feel like you're worthless. And it's like, that's <laughs> going from being a sport that you love to, to being a daily determinant of whether you have value as a human being or not. Like that's it's just, it's too much. There's too, <laughs> there's too much at stake with that mindset. So, yep. so a big part of it is just gaining perspective and saying like, no, I've, I love my sport and I mean, I care deeply about how I perform, but at the start and finish of every day, um, I, I have, you know, fundamental human value and the people that love me will, will love me, uh, irrespective of success or failure. Um, and, and I have to be able, be able to see that in myself. And once you can do that, uh, the pressure becomes much less debilitating because it's not tied to such a existential fight <laughs> yeah that, that leads to my final question but um talking about identifying yourself as you know a hockey player you've been pursuing it your whole life how often do you speak with guys about the retirement process and kind of moving past you know hockey and i you mentioned it how you played football but a uh, injury and whatnot led you to finding a different path but for some guys, it's just a matter of the game changing and not necessarily being pushed out, but having to deal with taking the next step and moving forward past hockey. And, you know, for the guys in the NHL that have spent, you know, 12, 15 years playing professionally, where does that come into play, um, you know, amongst the players that you've worked with? Yeah, so some of them have the foresight to anticipate that it's going to be hard, you know, when they finally – you know, either are either step out or are pushed out. And, uh, and so I, so I have a lot of those conversations over, over lunch or over coffee with guys. Um, and, and partly to, to try and help them to see that, Hey, like everything that makes you, you is still going to be in you, you know, so you might unplug those qualities from hockey, but then the, then the challenge is like, what do I plug back into? So I get to continue, you know, continue to feel like I'm myself. Um, and, uh, and, and some of them, to be honest, like they, the thought of being finished is so such a noxious idea that they, they work really hard not to think about it. <laughs> um, but that's, that's okay too, because if, you know, if it's uh, six months or a year out of, you know, out of playing, when you know when they reach out to me then then so be it like whenever they're ready to talk about it and and start to kind of face that you know the finality and the uh and, and the challenge challenges it has in terms of your identity and how you see yourself um i'm uh yeah I, I, whether it's while they're playing or after they're done i'm happy to have that conversation yeah i feel like every player has some sort of different battle with that experience because you know some guys have battled injury their whole career. Some guys are, you know, you see a lot of guys now they're upwards of you're close to 40 and, you know, they're just tired. So, yeah. I mean, every player is different. And, and, you know, for younger players, that's, I feel like not necessarily harder, but, you know, it's a little different than, you know, some guys that have established their career over time and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and even at the junior level, you know, the, what's it, the, the journal of the, it's called the sports psychologist. They did a study years ago and, uh, and found that um, over 90% of major junior players think they're going to play in the NHL and then 7% do. Uh, and so, so for most of them, you know, the, the strong majority of them, uh, they kind of hit that realization much earlier that, you know, their, their pro dream is not, uh, is not in the cards. Um, and, uh, yeah, so for some, it comes when they're 40, uh, for others, you know, the, that, that struggle, that, that real that big blow may may occur when they're you know 19 or 20 uh but but in either case it's you know uh, the the solution to it from a health standpoint is is for us to continue to foster like just a healthy sense of self recognizing that um you know this is is what you love and you spend a lot of time at and you're really good at it but it's, it doesn't it's not who you are who you are can never be taken away from you uh, but it's you know, varying from guy to guy, uh, you know, it can be a, a harder sell for some than others. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a crazy stat about uh, the 90% and the 7%. So I, I'm, I would put some money down saying that some, a lot of guys don't know that, <laughs> but yeah. um, that's wild. Yeah. But, well, it's, you know, it speaks to the, you know, just the, the inherent optimism in the athlete, right? Like we train ourselves against the odds to continue to believe that, that, uh, uh, that we're going to rise above it. And that's, you know, it's part of the essence of mental toughness is refusing to uh, accept defeat until the buzzer goes. Uh, and uh, so it's, so we, you know, we, I mean, we deliberately train that, uh, that way of thinking and it, and it, and it works to help people to perform, but it also, uh, there's another edge that sword, right? In terms of th- then having to survive what can be a pretty big emotional fall. Danny, you got anything else? No. Um, yeah, I think we covered uh, quite a bit in um, all my questions. So um, we're, just, we're really appreciative of you taking the time to speak with us. It was a pleasure, you know, having you on the podcast here. So um, very informative and very helpful. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me guys. Like it's obviously these are topics that are near and dear to my heart. So it's uh, it's fun to share it with you guys. Awesome. Thank you again. Great. All right. Good luck with it guys. Thanks Thanks so much. much. Have a great evening. Thanks. You too.